Hi, I'm Harry Littman, host of Talking Feds, a roundtable that brings together prominent figures from government law and journalism for a dynamic discussion of the most important topics of the day. Each Monday, I'm joined by a slate of Fed's favorites and new voices to break down the headlines and give the insider's view of what's going on in Washington and beyond. Plus, sidebars explaining important legal concepts read by your favorite celebrities. Find Talking Feds wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Beta Brand for supporting Muller, she wrote. Do you have a to-do list that never seems to end? Running from a flight straight to a meeting, still have to cook dinner for yourself? Beta Brand's dress pant yoga pants are perfect for the office, home, and anywhere your day takes you. Right now, our listeners can get 20% off their first order when you go to betabrand.com slash ag. And thanks to Third Love for supporting Muller, she wrote. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they're offering our listeners 15% off their first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash ag to find yours today. And thanks to the Awful Neutral podcast for supporting Muller, she wrote. Awful Neutral is a group of comics playing multiple role-playing games, including Dungeons & Dragons, Call of Cthulhu, and Kids on Bikes, an RPG based on Stranger Things. Find Awful Neutral, subscribe, rate, and enjoy wherever you get your podcasts. This is Greg Oliar, the author of Dirty Rubles, and you're listening to Muller, She Wrote. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That's what he said. That's what I said. That's obviously what our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I did not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, and welcome to Muller, She Wrote. I'm your host, A.G., and with me today are Jordan Coburn. Hello. And Amanda Reeder. Hello. It has been an interesting week. Mm-hmm. An interesting 24 hours. Full moon in Virgo uh, on Monday. Mercury ending its retrograde oh. uh, on Tuesday. Oh, so all this should just clear up then. And we had a Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> there was an insane amount of Mueller news. And we're going to bring it all to you with some quick updates on the coronavirus and Democratic primaries. For more in-depth reporting on those, check out The Daily Beans, which comes out tomorrow morning or tonight for premium patrons. And thanks to you for your amazing support. How are you? All right. Anxious. Very anxious. To be honest. It is a really hard time for a hypochondriac person with generalized anxiety disorder. Same. Yeah, I'm not mm-hmm. the hypochondriac, but mm-hmm. I'm I'm also I'm a really big FOMO person. Mm-hmm. So to like stay home, mm-hmm. um, I mean, you know, we work so much mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, I'm super thankful that we have all of our supporters in this podcast to be able to do this instead mm-hmm. of, you know, my years in hotel restaurant management totally. and the service industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I haven't been doing that many comedy shows. You had a few this weekend. How did they go? Yeah, yeah. That was. I mean, it's it's hard, and comics are in a really weird spot because if they're not already losing income from the shows getting canceled completely, the promoters, if you cancel on a show, that's like not only do you lose the money for that gig, but it it also might affect your work in the future, especially if you like cancel same day. So I feel like a lot of us, like I've gotten shit for doing those shows, yeah. and it's hard because it's like. It's just, yeah, like, I, I got paid a decent amount for them and I need the money. And there's an argument to be made for, like, the promoter, you know, having 
if it's under the 250 cap, then it's okay for them to do it. It's just a weird position. So the whole thing just felt really kind of weird, you know? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. totally true. And and when I was doing a lot of shows, I think in my 10 years of doing comedy, I missed like three shows right. mm-hmm. where I was just so sick, I couldn't function or I had lost my voice completely. Mm-hmm. You Because you can't, you're right. If you do that, the promoter's not going to, it could maybe never ask you back on another show. Mm-hmm. And I know that this was your first time uh, yeah, hosting doing a full a, weekend, a full weekend at, at, at that club. And yeah. so that's a really important gig that you can't, miss and i Mm -hmm. and i also feel very bad i know i was sort of making fun online oh no coachella's canceled Mm -hmm. but like there's a lot of service people service industry people who are going to lose so much money Mm -hmm. a lot of roadies a lot of tech crew a lot of union Mm -hmm. folks Mm -hmm. um and industry people service industry people that are just losing so much money right now Mm -hmm. uh because everyone is staying home Mm -hmm. and and uh our i know our um saint patrick's day parades were canceled Mm -hmm. here in town this weekend and a lot of my friends that are in the service industry lost a lot of money from that Mm -hmm. a lot of bartenders in the area uh and 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 wait staff uh, in restaurants in in those areas that would normally have made a bunch Mm -hmm. of money from from those rushes would have lost out yeah mm-hmm. um, those are the days that we look forward to in the service industry i mean they're the hard days but right. you know you could you can Big make three days yeah you need the whole country needs emergency universal basic income now yeah i saw frankly. that did you see that andrew yang like retweeted a suggestion that everyone might be getting like a grand and he's like oh if only someone had thought about that already <laughs> or, or cameron caskey or like one of his supporters right yeah, yeah <laughs> if only that was somebody's idea yeah 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 funny yeah weird times and you, your podcast is going to start coming out soon, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of um, deciding like when's best to launch right now. I don't know if it's it's if it's something people want to hear exactly people right now home. or if yeah, they people are. need content right That's now. That's true. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. We don't get like hostile with each other at all, even though it's centered around disagreeing on things. So, yeah, I'll talk to Jason about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's called the I Disagree Pod. Right? Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Um, I personally had the best time recording the last Daily Beans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that was the, fun. The final twenty minutes mm-hmm. of that last Daily Beans is probably the funniest thing I've ever personally been a part of. <laughs> <laughs> so if you haven't listened to, if if you've been like slow to get on the Beans train, th- that is the episode you need to listen to. It was Friday as Daily Beans, mm-hmm. uh, something about butts. Yep, yep. And um, it. <laughs> We got the news up front uh, because I've been working on that. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, But the end, man, the last 20 minutes. Yeah. So funny. And I want to thank our fans. We've gotten a bunch of gifts this week. Um, a fan in Newport sent us boxing robes mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. of my Postmates uh, experience where <laughs> the the person tried to get me to, to disrobe. And um, so the she was like, here's just, you know, to show them what you're made of when mm-hmm. they come to the door and ask that again. This is these silk boxing robes. So thank you for that. Awesome. Ian Brand Winery, I Brand Wines, sent us a case of wine. So thank you. I've I've tried them all and they're all really good. Mm-hmm. Um, that Cobb Franc especially Ooh, nice. was really, really delicious. So thank you, Ian Brand and family and everyone check out Ian Brand Winery. Truly amazing. And thank you to the anonymous person who sent cookies and chocolate. 
That was incredible. And we got a book called Beyond Two Parties by Dan Eckham saying, I hope you find this book interesting. I'm an average American citizen who spent five and a half years researching and writing this book, which I published in November 2019. It contains some ideas I think would make a big difference in the health of our politics. Hmm. Um, And then uh, I have his uh, mobile phone and email, which I'll give you now. No. (laughs) Uh, But Dan, thank you for sending that book. I really look forward to reading that. Yeah, Um, that is really cool. Since we're all going to be quarantined at home. I have some extra time to do it. Uh, We do have a big show today, including an interview with the author of Dark Towers and the New York Times piece about Val Brookschmidt called Me and My Whistleblower. His name is David Enrich, and he'll be joining us later in the show. And we have a lot of huge court decisions that relate to the Mueller investigation, including the grand jury materials and an update on the the McGann subpoena case as well. And there's a lot of other Russia news, too. But before we get get to that, we have some corrections. It's a mistake! It's hard for me to say I'm sorry. Oh, I made a mistake. All right, Amanda, take it away. All righty. I like your shirt, by the way. Thank you. Uh, I thrifted it, actually. It just says equality, period. Very on brand for me. All righty. So this is from Kathleen Dunn. And she says, even though I don't always agree with your politics, I love to listen because of your in-depth topics served with a healthy dose of laughter. We get a lot of that lately. Like, I don't agree with you, but I love you. I'm like, that's nice. <laughs> that is nice. Hey, that's Thank really you. nice. Um, yeah, I don't agree, agree with, with you either. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, we appreciate it, that, though. Yeah, no, it's really nice. We're getting a lot of that lately. And I'm like, that's. I, I really love that we have listeners who are like in a different part of the political spectrum than we are. That gives me a lot of hope. Anyway, she says, dogs cannot pass COVID-19. It's true. However, if you are out walking your dog, a cute one like my little chocolate Pomeranian, people will inevitably want to pet it. Mm. I have the same problem with my dog. But you don't know where their hands have been or whether they are contagious. Um, After I got back from my last walk, I lightly sprayed my dog with hydrogen peroxide. (laughs) Fortunately, he did not turn into a blonde. Um, I notice a lot of people out walking their dogs these days because they are avoiding indoor spaces. However, please make sure you're not letting people pet your dog and please make sure you're keeping your dog clean. Yeah, very because I don't. We don't know how long COVID nineteen. We know how long it can live on, like plastics and mm-hmm. metal, up to nine days. Most other surfaces up to three days. Uh, but we don't. I don't think there's any studies or testing out there mm-hmm. that, that shows us how long it can live on a dog's fur, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Totally. Um, and so you could pet a dog. Somebody else could pet your dog. You could pet your dog, and then boom. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Touch Good point. Face. Yeah. Uh, this is from Stephanie Peregrine. She says Amy Carrera on the show last week mentioned Oregon voting on Super Tuesday. Uh, unfortunately, we actually don't vote until May. I'm not sure what state she meant, um, but we actually in Oregon do have mail-in and drop-off ballots. I think she meant Washington. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, you also expressed some concerns over uh, security, but we are blessed with elected officials like Ron Wyden, who is leading the charge in the Senate for handmarked paper ballots and election security measures. Oregon also has one of the highest voter turnouts in the country due to efforts like these and should be a model nationwide. Excellent. Very Love cool. that. Um, this is from Hidari Mack. I think that's how it's pronounced. Uh, she says, it's great to have a podcast that can joke about the biggest black comedy in the history of the federal government, uh, especially for us foreigners who don't have full understanding of U.S. law. Uh, she says, I'm probably the hundredth or so listener to point this out by now, but the Hanks volleyball story you mentioned uh, last week um, for, that he's being treated for COVID-19 is actually a fiction. The Batuta Advocate is a parody news website in Australia, much like The Onion in the U.S. Oh, I saw a picture. I guess it was just a well-edited picture. Yeah. Ah, okay. So he is being treated for COVID-19. Well, they're self-isolating, but he didn't have Wilson with him. 
Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, your podcast does a better job at staying accurate than many professional news sources and pointing out something this minor may verge on being pedantic, but since you're striving for accuracy, here's my two cents towards that battle. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, all right. There's, this is a longer one than usual because there were some really, really, really meaningful corrections that I thought that, that needed to be included. So apologies for that, guys. Um, this is from Jack. He says, I love this show and look forward to it every morning while I feed my cats and attempt to perfectly peel a hard-boiled egg. <laughs> You seem oh, to have... I have the way, by the way. <laughs> do you? After you're done, I'll, okay, I'll, cool. I'll do that. Um, you seem to have confused shock therapy with something else. While I'm not familiar with the method mentioned on the show last week, um, used to treat aggression on mentally ill individuals, um, electroconvulsive therapy, known as ECT, is actually still in wide use for treating depression and bipolar mm-hmm. disorder. Uh, I've been treated with it in 2016 and 2018, both times with excellent results. Oh, cool. It's used in cases such as mine, where years of, or decades, actually, of trying many different medications and therapies had no effect. Mm. The procedure itself is far from the brutality shown in films such as uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Um, just the word shock itself implies a barbaric, uh, crude pain. In modern ECT, though, the patient is completely, um, uh, is, is, I can't pronounce this word, an- anesthetized. Anesthetized? That's the word, yes. Got it. Apologies. And the procedure is very brief and completely harmless. Um, it's even safe for pregnant women. I won't go into the granular details, but for most people, it's an outpatient procedure, and after a morning session, I could drive and go to work later that day. After treatment, I also felt better than I could ever remember at any other point in my entire life. My main reason for writing in is that because of the stigma associated with this treatment, uh, it prevents many others from seeking this treatment when it could be life-saving. Simply calling it shock treatment is misguided and adds to its negative portrayal, which scares away potential patients. Um, I was suicidally depressed and ECT quite literally saved my life. So please stop calling it shock treatment. Sorry this went on a bit, but an ECT success story, I want to spread positivity around the treatment and point out the fallacy of old stereotypes. Awesome. Thank cool. you. Um, I'm really glad that that worked. On the, flip, on the flip side, we also got another correction about um, shock therapy, which was uh, an entirely different... Um, experience. So this is from Anonymous. And they said, you mentioned on the Daily Beans that you didn't know shock therapy is still happening or that conversion therapy is still happening. And uh, she said, I can say as someone who was under 30, um, who was alive and well in the early 2000s, that there was a place in the US that was using shock, quote unquote, shock therapy to correct aggressive behavior and also lesbian tendencies when I was 12. Um, aggressive lesbian tendencies? <laughs> aggressive lesbian tendencies. Um, no, uh, aggressive tendencies and also le- aggressive behaviors and then also lesbian tendencies. So, uh, um, it has been years, but this is still very real. There are permanent scars from the electro- uh, from the electrodes. Oh, um, I know you didn't know this, It's uh, but I'm. it's been years and I'm still dealing with the PTS, but I needed to share with you that it is a thing, a very real and life-ruining thing. Wow. I am so sorry. Yeah, so two very different experiences uh, from people who wrote like, in about Those are probably therapy. two different kinds of therapy. Absolutely. Right, and the people that administer it very yeah. different goals in terms of the care for the actual individual yeah and I actually yeah. qu- question their uh, medical certification absolutely in yeah those, so. in those particular conversion therapy mm-hmm. situations yeah absolutely so that was just something that was that was a uh, really meaningful um and then this is one last one just just kind of funny this is from uh from a canadian in montreal from jackie your podcast format and the unique perspective of having three very different very strong women collaborate and offer such a refreshing take on american, po- american politics is something that i look forward to every day um i know that typically you are intentionally mispronouncing the name of Ghislaine maxwell which i find hilarious Gislaine. <laughs> but for the occasions when you do wish to pronounce it seriously, please allow a bilingual Montrealer to offer some tips. Mm. The closest I can suggest is Guilen, 
where the first syllable mm. is pronounced like the Indian butter, and oh. the second is pronounced well like len. The emphasis is on the second sil- syllable, so gilen is how you pronounce it. Pretty gilen, Love- gilen, gilen, gilen. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, um, emphasis on the yes. second. Shitty sorry. person, beautiful name. Yeah, <laughs> shitty person, beautiful name. It's <laughs> <laughs> fucking true, right? Mm-hmm. Gilen Maxwell is, is a beautiful name. Too bad she sucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, then she says, "Love the dynamic between the three of you. Love how you respect each other's differences." So yeah, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. Yes, thanks for reading those. Amanda, those are corrections. If you have any for us, please head to MullerSheWrote.com, click contact and select corrections. Build us a compliment sandwich. We'll get it right eventually. Uh, We do have a ton of news, so let's jump in with just the facts. All right, as we know, last week, Judge Reggie Walton ordered the Department of Justice to hand over the unredacted Mueller report, and another federal judge, Colleen Collar Cottley, ordered the NSA to hand over the memo of the conversation Trump had with DNI Mike Rogers in which Trump begged him to deny news reports about collusion between Trump, uh, the Trump campaign, and Russia. Well, this week, the D.C. Appellate Court, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, has ruled that the Department of Justice must now hand over the Mueller investigation grand jury materials uh, that the House Judiciary requested last July mm-hmm. 27th. We were live in Chicago that day. I'll mm-hmm. never forget that day. Yep. Because I was popping champagne with our guest Renato Mariotti that, that impeachment proceedings had begun, even though Pelosi didn't announce them until September, mm-hmm. officially. Mm-hmm. But that court filing uh, demanding the grand jury materials, all of the underlying evidence and materials from the Mueller investigation under Article One powers of impeachment in the Constitution, to me, said we're having an impeachment uh, inquiry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... So that is this those these grand jury materials are hugely important because this is if you remember when uh, well if I don't know if I wasn't alive but I remember reading about this more recently because the Jaworski report uh, came to light was finally released just a couple of years ago at you know forty years after Watergate and what that Jaworski material was was the grand jury materials in the Nixon case and within those materials were all of the uh, conclusions drawn b- about which federal felonies uh, Nixon had committed. I believe there were four. Uh, and that was what led uh, eventually to, to you know, Republican senators saying, you're not going to make it out of this if you it, when, when they start impeachment hearings. And that's what led to his resignation was because he actually committed federal felonies. And those conclusions were drawn in the Jaworski grand jury materials, but not in the in the report that that would have come out later otherwise, mm-hmm. much like our Mueller report that came out, of course, which was mischaracterized by Bill mm-hmm. Barr and the Department of Justice. But he didn't draw any conclusions in that report for several reasons. One, because you can't indict a sitting president. And two, just to say he was guilty of obstruction of justice, for example, which he was on several occasions, at least five, um, would could uh, prejudice future juries uh, were Trump to be uh, taken to court or, you know, taken to task for, for committing those those felonies after he becomes a private citizen. And, mm-hmm. and Mueller didn't want to uh, jeopardize uh, those future prosecutions because if he had come out and said, yeah, Trump committed obstruction of justice, Trump would have a much easier time appealing the case on the grounds that he wouldn't be able to get a fair trial. Mm-hmm. So what all's in these materials, these grand jury materials? Like I said, anything, you know, it, it could be crimes that that the grand jury uh, decided that he could be indicted on. Of course, he wasn't because you can't indict a sitting president. But the full unredacted 302s would all be in there, including the mystery Kushner 302. (laughs) 
um, that we didn't get. It could have all the evidence in it against Trump Jr., who was never called in to, to answer questions. Uh, it would also have all of the cases handed off to other agencies. The, that was the Appendix D, um, where 14 cases were handed off. Two of them were known to the public, and the other 12 were redacted. So mm-hmm. the um, I, I'm not going to say we would know, but the House would know, the House Judiciary would know what cases were handed off, and they would be able to determine if those have been quashed or stopped or somehow otherwise had roadblocks put up in front of them by the Department of Justice, mm-hmm. right? And so those are some of the items that would be, pl- I mean, plus the millions of documents of evidence. There could be the counterintelligence stuff that was handed off to the the FBI uh, agents that were co-located uh, in the, in the um, special counsel's office. You would have, I mean, just everything would be in there. Any financial things that he investigated but never reported on because of the red line or because Rosenstein said he couldn't, whatever whatever the case may be. There could be documents in there showing uh, the, the narrowing of the scope of the Mueller investigation by the Department of Justice. Those sort of memos would probably be included in that material. Um, because of grand jury secrecy rules, we will not get this. But mm-hmm. uh, it, but the House would. Mm-hmm. And the next steps, of course, in this case are that Trump could appeal to have the full case heard and bonk by all 11 judges at the D.C. Uh, Court of Appeals, at the District uh, Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, he would lose that. Um, I mean, if he lost the three judge panel, he would lose the full um, the full hearing or the uh, rehearing in front of the full panel. And then he would. um appeal to the Supreme Court and probably ask for a stay on while they determine whether they're going to hear the case, hear the case on the merits or not hear it, kicking it down to the lower, the next lower court's decision. I think, I mean, he's, he's in some cases he's appealed and bonk to the full appellate court. Some cases he's not because he knows he would lose it, but it would uh, effectively delay those materials being handed over, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is his, is, it's his only um, defense mm-hmm. at this Until point is, is delay. So we'll see what happens there. Um, and of course, it wouldn't be Sunday if Trump didn't tweet out stuff about pardoning people. Oh God, yeah. Uh, it's reported that after destroying, um, let's see, Trump tweeted out this Sunday. So it's now reported after destroying his life and the life of his wonderful family and many others. By the way, Mueller did not indict Flynn's son, and he could have. The FBI, working in conjunction with the Justice Department, has lost the records of General Michael Flynn. How convenient. I'm strongly considering a full pardon. I don't know what records they're talking about. Uh, Flynn said he lied. Mm Mm-hmm. Why is Trump tweeting about anything other than coronavirus? Mm -hmm. All of his tweets today have nothing to do with coronavirus. I... The leader of the free world is tweeting about pardoning his friend and not the global pandemic happening. Correct. Nice. Yeah. On one hand, though, it's like probably prime time for him <laughs> to slip in whatever weird shit he wants to do right now. Yeah, he he definitely needs to get the focus off of the the mess that is coronavirus. Mm-hmm. That just is, from from his standpoint, that is one hundred percent his responsibility. Yeah. Even though in a press conference this week he said he take he takes no responsibility. <laughs> That was a that was a stunning moment. I know. No, <laughs> Just... I don't accept any responsibility. Yeah, really. Mm. Calling it a hoax, encouraging people to not take it seriously. Yeah, that was just six days ago. Mm-hmm. The hoax stuff, and then of course. He um, just quick coronavirus update this Friday. He declared a national emergency. Mm-hmm. Finally, stocks. He, he paraded out a bunch of corporate Walmart guys and touched everyone and touched yep. the microphone. And uh, 
He also acted like it was his personal money he was giving to Americans, not their taxpayer dollars that were being used for an emergency. (laughs) Right? Like, aren't I gracious? Yeah. Anyway. Wearing a USA hat. So Flynn. (laughs) Who fucking... Has any other president ever done that? Worn swag at the podium? No, I don't think so. Or when he wore his MAGA hat to the CDC. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen that ever before. <laughs> um, we For a full coronavirus update, uh, check out The Daily Beans. comes out tomorrow morning, tonight, for premium patrons. And we'll be right back after this quick word. So stay with us. Hey, everybody. It's AG. And this episode of Muller She Wrote is brought to you by Beta Brand. Like many people, it seems I'm always on the go. I'm very busy running from one errand to the next or meet one meeting to the next. So I'm really excited to share. I've found a product so flexible and versatile that it perfectly fits my nonstop schedule. And they are the best pants ever in existence. They are Beta Brand's dress pant yoga pants. They're perfect for the office, home gym, or anywhere else your day takes you. With Beta Brand, you never have to sacrifice comfort, function, or style. Beta Brand's dress pant yoga pants are incredibly versatile, super comfy, perfectly stretchy, and they stay wrinkle-free no matter what. I could ball them up in a ball and, and they wouldn't wrinkle. And they feel like yoga pants. So whatever your style is, Beta Brand has the pants to match it with dozens of colors and patterns and cuts. And They have boot cut, straight legs, skinny, cropped, and they even have uh, premium denim now. They have a pair of eight pocket pants, which are great. I have three pairs uh, of Beta Brand pants. I've got the crop, the straight leg, and the eight pocket pants, all in black. And I take them everywhere with me on every trip because they don't wrinkle, they pack and travel beautifully, and the eight pocket pants allow me to leave my purse at the hotel, so I don't have to carry that around. Beta Brand now also offers premium denim, like I said, with the same flexibility and comfort as the yoga pants. And right now, our listeners can get 20% off your first order when you go to betabrand.com slash AG. That's 20% off your first order at betabrand.com slash AG. Millions of women agree these are the most comfortable pants you'll ever wear to work. So go to betabrand.com slash AG for 20% off. All right, everybody, welcome back. So here's some other cool stuff going on in our government. Treasury Secretary, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Treasury Secretary Steve had a uh. secret meeting with the Russian ambassador to discuss potential trade and investments on Monday. That's the day the Dow dropped over 7% and it hit that trigger that had to shut down trading for 15 minutes. And that was due to an oil price war between Russia and Saudi Arabia. And we learned about this meeting between Steve and the Russian ambassador from the Russian media, of course. Uh, The meeting was not on Steve's schedule, and according to Russia, the two discussed agreements between Trump and uh, that Trump and Putin made during their meetings at the Helsinki and Osaka summits. Um, Those are the ones we don't have notes for. Uh, Quote today: U.S. Treasury Secretary Steve T. Mnuchin met with T. What's the T? Tiberius (laughs) met with Ambassador of Russian Federation uh, to the United States and uh, and Anatoly Antonov, and they discussed compliance with sanctions programs. Small sanctions. Uh, Venezuelan economic conditions and the potential for trade and investment. Secretary Mnuchin emphasized the importance of orderly energy markets. The two sides discussed current state and future prospects of Russia-U.S. relations, implementations of the arrangements reached by President Putin and Donald Trump during the summits in Helsinki in 2018 and Osaka in 2019. Compliance in this context is sanctions, specifically the ones placed on Russia by Obama for invading Crimea in 2014 and attacking our elections in 2016. So Steve is in charge of the OFEC list, right? Uh, anybody who's on the sanctions list, either from the Magnitsky Act or from uh, just sanctions that the, that the United States government or Congress votes to place on uh, entities and people. Mm-hmm. So, well, let's see how sanctions look mm-hmm. in the next couple of months. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe there'll be some sort of an emergency lifting of sanctions because right. of the coronavirus. Exactly. Outbreak. Another opportunity where they can slip in shit they've been trying to do. Yeah. Just like 
they're trying to mm-hmm. defund Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid by cutting all payroll taxes for the rest of the year. I think that we are about to see a lot of crazy shit happen <laughs> in terms of the government. I mean, I, I I don't even know where to start. They're already. I mean, I'm already worried about the election being delayed. I have information on that. Yeah. Um, and we talk about it in the Daily Beans today, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But only Congress can delay an election. Okay. The mm-hmm. president cannot. Uh, and if there is some sort of executive order that he puts out mm-hmm. or some sort of martial law that he puts out mm-hmm. that, that puts the that delays the election, mm-hmm. his term and president Vice President Mike Pence's term ends January 20th, mm-hmm. 2021. Mm-hmm. No if there what. was no presidential election, mm-hmm. Nancy Pelosi becomes the president. Woo! <laughs> All right. <laughs> that is per the Constitution. Uh, of course, he would file court things mm-hmm. and we would have to go to court and the court would have to decide if mm-hmm. the Constitution says what it says. Mm-hmm. Um, you you yeah. just know he's going to just fucking complain so hard about how he had the worst four years and it shouldn't count and he should get a redo. <laughs> already Probably, said that. Yeah. So like, mm-hmm. I should get the I should get I, three years back for having to deal with the Russia hoax mm-hmm. and then another year for having to deal with the Corona hoax <sighs> or whatever the I, fuck. The first one he did to himself. The second one, that is, that is kind of the whole thing. He did to himself too. <laughs> <laughs> I think we, we say yeah, this every day, but handling it poorly for sure. Yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see what happens. I, I, I know we'll go over this in the beans, but you know, you're already hearing Tom Perez of the DNC say stuff like, "Well, if states push back their primaries too far, they're going to lose out. They're going to get penalized and lose half their delegates." Right. You know, um, so things like that are happening, um, but. I'm also obviously Trump has handled all of this really badly so far, but I'm a little bit worried about how as we go forward, when he implements problem solving, he's going to claim responsibility for continuing to take the most basic measures and use that as campaign fodder. You know, of course, you know, every when he's doing the bare minimum, he's going to be like, look at look at these funds that I personally made the decision to do for you, peasants. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, like it just. Yeah, you should know. everyone, you know how you put in bed at the end of every fortune cookie? You can probably just put peasants at the end of every Trump tweet. <laughs> it makes sense. You know, like I I don't know. I'm I I feel he's obviously handled it so poorly so far, but I'm nervous about as we go forward, he's going to he's going to the PR on this is going to be unbearable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I already I yeah, I mean he he's like he's kind of poising posing poising. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He is trying to be the cool dictator, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> I'm a cool mom. I'm yeah. not like a regular mom. I'm a cool dictator. Exactly. <laughs> Who wants some margarita? Yes. Jesus. Exactly. He's Are you like going to drink? I'd rather have you do it in the house, honey. Uh-huh. He's like the Jimmy Buffett of dictators. Yes. Seriously. With that fucking hat. It's like he's trying to be chill. Meanwhile, he is doing like the most unchill things a president's ever done in this country. It's like you might be living in a fascist country, but we can have an island party. Yes. Whoop, whoop. Yes. It's anyway. Here it works. Check this out. Here's some tweets. Uh, the, it's Donald Trump. The fake and corrupt news never called Google. They said this was not true. Even in times such as these, we are they are not truthful. Watch for their apology. It won't happen. More importantly, thank you to Google, peasants. <laughs> So it is now reported that after destroying his life and the life of a wonderful family and many others, the FBI, working in conjunction with the Justice Department, has lost the records of General Michael Flynn. How convenient. I am strongly considering a full pardon, peasants. (laughs) Jesus. You good. It works. 
I bet Ivanka's works too. Let's oh, just God. try her. At least Ivanka's working from home, like a reasonable person who's come into contact with someone who's had coronavirus. As what does she do again? <laughs> since we practice social distancing, we remember that God does not keep his distance. I pray for t- I pray today for our great country, our leaders, and all Americans, peasants. Oh Jesus. my God! God does not keep his distance. When does anyone have any photos of Trump ever attending any church ever in his no. whole life? Nah, uh, nah. No way. Mega churches don't count. <laughs> Anything connected to the Falwells doesn't yeah. count. Yes, exactly. A mega church is just like, yeah, like a watering hole for. Sorry. I thought you were I'll saying mega churches. Oh, mega mm, churches. I'd go there. Yeah. I need my f- salmon. Mm-hmm. Just get slapped in the face with a fish. <laughs> <laughs> just line up. <laughs> uh, There's that's a- from Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Unlimited fish. Uh, Here's some more Mueller news. As we know, last week, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals dismissed the McGahn subpoena case, saying that it's not the court's job to be the tiebreaker in interbranch disputes such as this. Uh, We said that's wrong, and it appears the full circuit court agrees. This week, not only did the full court, 11 judges, agree to rehear the House's case for compelling former White House counsel Don McGahn to testify about Trump's obstruction of justice during the Mueller investigation on bonk, which means, you know, in front of the full court or the full judges, the full panel judges. But they vacated the decision of the appellate court's three judge panel saying the court doesn't have jurisdiction. They vacated that decision. So and I don't know. And maybe somebody can tell me whenever a, a, an appellate court agrees to hear rehear a, a case on bonk by the entire panel of judges. Do they does that always vacate the 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 previous decision or did they specifically know. vacate this one and it and it doesn't happen automatically? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I'll have to ask uh, some lawyer friends or send mm-hmm. us your corrections. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now this will be heard in the D.C. appellate court by all 11 judges. I'm certain uh, they will find in favor of the House and then the Trump administration will likely appeal to the Supreme Court. And they will likely request a stay that would prevent Don McGahn from testifying until the Supreme Court either hears the case based on the merits and makes a decision or a ruling or refuses to hear the case, leaving the en banc ruling in place. That's what we're looking. That's what we're looking at going Mm -hmm. forward. It's going to be after the election when we get a decision. Yeah. I imagine a lot of stuff is going to happen after the election now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, we will get the Deutsche Bank and Mazar stuff before the election, though. So Mm -hmm. that'll be interesting. Or Mm -hmm. we'll at least get the decisions. Uh, all right, uh, everyone, it's time for hot notes. Hot notes. All right, so what is going on with uh, Britain and Putin's enemies? Yes, so lots of things. Um, <laughs> no, I just want one thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, ba- basically, Russia is now being accused of having had a group of people in Britain and still having a group of people in Britain go after Putin's enemies in parliament to advance Putin's criminal interests. Bill Browder is largely behind this. He presented evidence of this to Parliament's Intelligence and Security Committee. Oh, he's behind outing it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, just being one of, like, the experts providing proof for, you know, this happening. And in case you're wondering, Bill Browder uh, was the architect of the Magnitsky Act. Mm-hmm. It, it was he and his lawyer who found $230 million in tax fraud from Russia, mm-hmm. reported it, and then his friend Magnitsky was jailed, tortured, and murdered. Mm-hmm. And then Bill Browder has been going around uh, trying to get Magnitsky Act passed in, yes. in multiple governments. Yes, totally. And he's providing pretty much like expert witness testimony almost to different governments around the world. Yeah, like he said, advancing that. Uh, he said some had 
some referring to the people that are either wittingly or unwittingly working for Putin's interests. Some had reason to know exactly what they are doing and for whom. Others work unwittingly for Russian state interests, he said. Uh, He said together they form what he calls a Western buffer network, essentially, for Russia. So that's scary. And the same stuff that's happening in the United States. Uh, Moscow, he says, deploys these people to attack Putin critics and to enhance Russian propaganda and disinformation and to facilitate and conceal massive money laundering operations. He's Browder's not claiming anyone's broken the law. Technically, Uh, that's not what he's saying with this. Maybe I don't I have zero idea what UK laws exist that would absolutely, you know, criminalize these folks for what Brad is saying that they're engaging in. But um, this comes at a time when the UK is still awaiting the public release of their own Russia report, Mm -hmm. which the prime minister has been accused of refusing to release. And I think that accusation is pretty founded. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But when it is finally made public, Browder's expertise, I think that there's going to be a lot of things in that report that are informed from from his research uh, and experiences. Browder told The Guardian, yes, there are members of the Russian security services working out of the Russian embassy under diplomatic cover. What the government seems to be missing is the fact that there are all sorts of informal espionage networks. There are Russian oligarchs who have a much greater impact on the security of this country. What's most shocking is that the Russian government is indirectly hiring British nationals to assist them in its intelligence operations. So that's a huge statement from him. Um, Mm -hmm. Get your shit together. (laughs) Western governments that are unwittingly doing Putin's bidding. So, yeah, still just anxiously awaiting that report and continuously you know, good work from Bill Browder, who's dedicated his life to uncovering this. Yeah. The state of the UK is total fucking chaos right now, too, dude. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's so crazy. I mean, I'm hearing reports of like, well, they're going to have to delay certain Brexit deadlines yet again because of coronavirus. Mm -hmm. And it's just in shambles. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, in fact, uh, as these developments continue with Boris Johnson and Mm -hmm. these, you know, Russia allegations, um, if if, if anybody has any stories you think we should like cover for... um, from the uk tweet mm-hmm. them at us yeah, yeah. russian influence and in- yeah anything mm-hmm. to do with what jordan just said or or mm-hmm. kind of related to that or totally really like you know must know stories please tweet them at us we know we have a lot of uk listeners we get so many corrections from the uk and people say they really appreciate our perspective so yeah if there's any uh, uk stories connected to this the things we cover then please send them to us mm-hmm. yeah, and i love that browder is, is just become is, he's mm-hmm. just taken taking one for the team right mm-hmm. he, he's like hey putin's already after me he's already trying to kill me he's already mm-hmm. trying to get me arrested so everywhere he's got red notices out at every interpol at every uh-huh. p- uh, police uh you know country and in, mm-hmm. in, in europe and and elsewhere and and so he's like fuck if somebody's gonna do it might as well be me he yeah. already wants me dead so mm-hmm. i'm gonna just go out and do all this work and so mm-hmm. i do appreciate what he's doing i do too it's also so messed up that there has to be some vigilante civilian essentially that has to dedicate their whole life and put their own life in danger like you just said continuously to uncover these things because governments aren't doing it themselves mm-hmm. or, th- or they are and covering it up yes <clears throat> yeah Muller bar yeah exactly yeah. yeah. And I forgot to tell you mm-hmm. all um, hard boiled eggs. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> Important. Okay. So you boil the water first. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then you yep. place the eggs in the boiling water, mm-hmm. leave uncovered for 13 minutes. Uncovered? Uncovered. Uncovered. Okay. For mm-hmm. 13 minutes. Okay. And the, even in this coronavirus outbreak, uncovered okay. eggs. And then uh, put them in an ice bath, mm-hmm. uh, like ice water bath, mm-hmm. and then peel them underwater. Hell okay. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. All right. They come off in whole eggshells like they just slide off 
Great. Amazing. Thank you. Yep. Okay. Uh, I had that written down. (laughs) (laughs) Hard hitting is how to do that. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it is the hard. It's the issues. We attack the issues. So uh, my hot hot note here, we've been hearing back and forth uh, for a while now from the White House and the intelligence community about that briefing last month that Russia was interfering with the 2020 election Mm -hmm. again to, well, 2020 election to benefit Trump. Uh, It made Trump so mad uh, that the intelligence community would brief Congress and Adam Schiff before him that he fired the DNI. And since then, he's installed a totally unqualified douche named Rick Grinnell as one person that sits atop the one person who sits atop all 17 intelligence agencies and is responsible for ensuring coordination of information and intelligence. And he has never worked for an intelligence agency before. He has no idea Mm -hmm. what he's doing. Well, they've had a second briefing this week um, where they basically said, hey, you know, those were strong words during our last briefing. In our last briefing, uh, you know, we we don't really have any uh, information that that Russia prefers Trump specifically. So they were sort of walking that back as I'm sure Trump made them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Grinnell wasn't even there. And he was supposed to be. Uh, a circulation that went out to all lawmakers had him on the schedule to appear for this second briefing. Um, he had actually asked Trump if he could sit this one out uh, because he was afraid of Dems asking him stuff he didn't know anything about. He says he was unprepared and not read in to answer questions, and he didn't want to have to handle questions about Russia that could potentially upset the president. Mm-hmm. So he, our acting uh, director of national intelligence, head of 17 intelligence agencies, did not go to the intelligence briefing on the Russia interference in the 2020 election. Well, now there's this. This is reporting from CNN that Russian trolls now have hubs in Ghana and Nigeria. And they're all backing Trump, by the way. And this time they're better disguised. They're harder to identify and track. From Clarissa Ward on CNN, she says, In 2016, much of the trolling aimed at the U.S. election operated from an office block in St. Petersburg, Russia. A months-long CNN investigation has now discovered that this election cycle, at least part of the campaign, has been outsourced to trolls in West African nations of Ghana and Nigeria. They have focused almost exclusively on racial issues in the United States, promoting black empowerment and often displaying anger towards white Americans. And the goal... Uh, is to inflame divisions among Americans and provoke social untrust, unrest. And the language and images used in these posts on Twitter and Facebook are sometimes very graphic. Uh, one of the Ghanaian trolls, uh, at Africa Must Wake, linked to a story from a left-wing conspiracy website and commented on Facebook that Americans' descent into a fascist police state continues. On another occasion, um, that same account, Africa Must Wake, tweeted, You police been killing blacks since your raggedy mamas gave birth to you. Happy MLK Day to you hypocrites. Uh, And more than 200 accounts like this were created by the Ghanaian trolls. The vast majority in the second half of 2019, they've reached hundreds of thousands, probably millions of people Mm -hmm. worldwide. Uh, and this is just like the IRA, the Internet Research Agency. Mm-hmm. It's it's run by Concord Management and the Afghani Purgosian. Facebook says that about 13,000 Facebook accounts have followed one or more of those Ghana, Ghanaian accounts. And around 265,000 people followed one or more of the Instagram accounts, about 65% of whom are Americans. Twitter told CNN uh, it had removed 71 accounts that had 68,000 followers. Most were tweeting in English uh, and presented themselves as based in the United States. Uh, They said in a statement, the accounts operating out of Ghana, Nigeria, and which we can reliably associate with Russia, attempt to sow discord by engaging in conversations about social issues like race and civil rights. Um, The headquarters 
were in a walled compound in a quiet residential area near the capital, Accra, in Ghana. And it had been rented by a small nonprofit group that called itself Eliminating Barriers for the Liberation of Africa, or EBLA. Sixteen Ghanaians, mostly in their 20s, worked at the compound. Some lived rent-free in a nearby apartment. Um, they were issued mobile phones, um, not laptops, and they worked around a table. So they're just sitting in an mm-hmm. office tweeting off, off mm-hmm. a phone. The EBLA trolls communicated as a group uh, through the encrypted Telegram app, which is rarely used in, in Ghana. One of the trolls agreed to talk to CNN. That's how they did. That's how mm-hmm. uh, they got most of this information. So long as her identity was disguised, she said that she had no idea she would be working as a Russian troll. She said that the employees were given topics to post about. So you get stories about LGBTQ. You get stories about police brutality. It depends on what you're what you're working on. Mm-hmm. She said. Um, CNN's investigation found the accounts created in Ghana were consistently coordinated, posting on the same topic within hours of each other. Instagram account, which makes sense if they're all sitting around a table. Mm -hmm. Instagram accounts appear to have done especially well. The most popular Instagram account built a following of more than 25,000. That's three times its Twitter audience. Mm. Um, U.S. Senator Mark Warner, vice chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, said in response to CNN's investigation here, he said, I've said for years now that it would be foolish to believe there was only the one well-publicized IRA facility in St. Petersburg. This new mm-hmm. reporting is a reminder of the continuing threat we face from Russia and its continuing efforts to divide and manipulate us on social media. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, That's part of the hard part about having conversations online right now is you don't know who the fuck is a bot and you don't mm-hmm. know who is real anymore. Mm-hmm. Bot Sentinel is pretty great. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I check yeah. people so consistently on there now. I've even, you know, it's funny. A lot of people say, oh, well, there's a lot of quote-unquote bernie bros which are bots i think that there are bots of every supporter Absolutely. yeah because i've had i've been seeing supports by people who are co- over the last few months who are quote-unquote supporters of another democratic candidate mm-hmm. and i'm like how y- this is nasty yeah. i don't think this is real and even outside of presidential stuff there's even just accounts that will get mm-hmm. really aggressive over like mm-hmm. even just vaguely political things mm-hmm. sort of and they'll yeah. just like comment and slip in talking points mm-hmm. that are out of nowhere and mm-hmm. like those people are almost certainly bots yep but then i see people take the bait and they'll comment back and be you know that they say stuff trump for, is for sure retweeted bots uh, yep. to amplify his political opinions mm-hmm. many times well i don't know many times but at least a couple of times i know mm-hmm. he's done that or he's retweeted people who have like two followers mm-hmm. yeah and and the the scary part is that that these uh, like this Ghanaian compound mm-hmm. in the internet research agency mm-hmm. these aren't bots these are people right. yeah right yeah, who yeah. then yeah you know who who have been online for a while they're, they're, mm-hmm. the the idea is to to have an online presence and talk about mm-hmm. ice cream and making bread and whatever you do mm-hmm. and then to yep. be turned on to be politicized mm-hmm. yeah and so it's it's just it's it's that's why they're so hard to track it's yep. pretty easy to track bots right mm-hmm. yeah yeah but yeah these folks it's it's mu- I, it's much harder mm-hmm. all right well that's my hot note you all ready for sabotage yeah. yes All right, remember last week when Simona Mangiante uh, tweet divorced mm-hmm. George Papadopoulos mm-hmm. saying she was upset about what he said on his podcast? Yes. Well, she's taking it back oh, in a new tweet God. saying she acted out of anger. I think they're back together. Oh, my God. No one cares. <laughs> God. I know. I'm going to punch myself in the face for reporting this. No, no, no. Well, I just, uh, I mean, I, I, I care in the sense that it's, later. it's great to see them fall publicly further and further into you know the depths of just being the most non-credible group of people 
Yeah. And Especially really if more one of those of a, running for Congress. And this was really more of a correction, but... Totally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, my God. They're so reminiscent, though. Everyone's known that couple. Where at a certain point, it's just like, shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. Don't mm-hmm. tell me about your shit, then. Yeah. And they, <laughs> they don't, they like don't have a couple name, either, too. Like, what, what are their two first names? Papa Jante, George, George, and what's her George? George and Simona. Simona and if that is her real name, Jamona, Papa Papa Dapa Giante. Ooh, Papa Giante. Papa Giante. Papa Giante. Sounds like Papa John's. <laughs> Papa George, who is apparently <laughs> racist. So good company. Ah, oh uh, yeah. Didn't he have to like step down from the borders? I think so. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Not That's a gross. good Remember, thing. <laughs> imagine being someone who was like, Trump didn't really mean any of that four years ago. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, he did. Yep. <laughs> it's shocking. All right, let's play the Fantasy Indictment League. I'm going to be indicted! No, wait, it's going to be a... Indicted! Honey, dick. Indicted! Honey. I'm going to be indicted! Oh, they can't. It's going to be okay. Just calm down. I can't calm down. I'm going to be indicted! All right, time for the Fantasy Indictment League. Jordan, I think you get to select first this week. Oh, cool. Um... Hmm. I'm going to say Flynn Pardon. <laughs> can we, we can do pardons? pardons? I think we can put pardons Okay, on cool. There. It's about that time. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, Giuliani. I freaking hope so. Um, AMI. Nice. Mm-hmm. Gillen. Ooh. Gislaine. Uh, Tom Barrick. Nice. And you said AMI already. I'll go superseding Parnas. Mm. I almost forgot about those guys. <laughs> the Parnas and Fruman show. Yeah, I'll do superseding Fruman. Nice. Do 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 Hmm. They're just awaiting court dates then, right now. I guess. Yeah. Hmm. But there could be additional charges. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. I was just wondering why we haven't seen him in the news at all. Superseding Korea. C-O-R-R-E-I-A, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Pecker. You <laughs> stole my Pecker. <laughs> That's such a twisted version of the Got Your Nose game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, got your Pecker. <laughs> Oh my god! Don't no, play no, that no. one with no, kids. No, seriously, give it back. Give it <laughs> oh, she stole my pepper. <laughs> oh god! All right, um, I'm gonna go with my final pick to be <laughs> Dylan Howard. Nice. Um. Oh, that's it, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's all we got. Um. So that is how we play the Fantasy Indictment League. Uh, If you want to play, head to Patreon. All right. So as we all know, March 31st, the Supreme Court will hear arguments on the House subpoena of Trump's Deutsche Bank records. So who better to speak to about what might be in them than the author of Dark Towers, David Enrich. He'll be joining us right after the break. Stay with us. Hey, everybody. This segment of Muller She Wrote is brought to you by Third Love, the makers of my all-time favorite bras ever in the history of bras. Third Love believes that every woman deserves to feel comfortable and confident every day with the right kind of support. They help her do this. And Third Love bras are designed to fit you, not the other way around. Their bras are tailored to your specific individual shape and are designed for ultimate comfort and wearability. Many women, including myself, fall in between cup sizes, so I would always either get cup 
gap or spillage, like the overspill, like your cup runneth over, which makes it incredibly frustrating and difficult to find the right fit. But not anymore. Third Love has over 80 bra sizes. They're an industry leader in the number of sizes they have, and they have signature half cup sizes. So you can find the perfect fit just for you. Just check out their Fit Finder quiz online. In just a minute or so, I was able to find the right bra designed to fit me. Third Love uses your info plus data from millions of women who've already taken the quiz, factoring in cup size and breast shape to find the perfect bra. Every Third Love bra is made with lightweight, super thin memory foam cups that mold to your shape. They have no slip straps that don't dig, uh, and they don't have tags, so you don't have the itchy tag in there. It's all designed for the ultimate comfort. With Third Love's Perfect Fit Promise, which is absolutely amazing, you have 60 days to wash it, wear it, try it out, and if you don't absolutely love it, if it's not the perfect fit for you, returns and exchanges are free and easy, and they donate all their gently used bras to women in need. So far, they've donated over $15 million in bras supporting charities across the U.S. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they're offering our listeners 15% off your first order, so go to thirdlove.com slash AG now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash AG for 15% off today. All right, everybody, welcome back. Today for the interview, we have the finance editor of The New York Times and author of the new book, Dark Towers, Deutsche Bank, Donald Trump, and an Epic Trail of Destruction. And if you're a regular listener, you'll know David Enrich's work from our coverage of his New York Times piece called Me and My Whistleblower about Val Brookschmidt, the son of a Deutsche Bank executive who gained access to his father's emails uh, after his father had died by suicide. But this book, Dark Towers, is the product of interviews not with just Val, but with nearly 200 sources. And he's with us today to discuss his book and his findings. David and Rich, thanks for coming on Mueller, She Wrote. Thanks for having me. Uh, now, I just want you to know up front, our listeners are pretty well-read. They're familiar with a lot of the actors in your book, including Justin Kennedy, Rosemary Vrablick, some of the subsidiaries of Deutsche Bank. But your book goes very deep into the weeds. So uh, we can talk at a pretty high level without having to give too much background on the major players. Uh, and I know you're well aware of what's come out in public reporting prior to your book. So I just wanted you to know we're familiar with those stories. But all of this new information in your book is absolutely fascinating. And that's what I wanted to discuss in more detail. Great. Let's do it. Great. So first, um, just to jump right in, can you tell us about some of the previously unreported transactions and services between Deutsche Bank and Trump or or Kush or, or either? Yeah. So I mean, obviously, there are the two billion dollars plus in loans over the past 20 years. But some of what I found I thought was more interesting than that, because it's not loans. It's providing other financial services and products. And I think the two most interesting examples of that One is that in the mid-2000s, around 2005, Trump and some real estate partners were trying to build a couple of resorts, one in Hawaii and the other in Baja, California, so in Mexico. And um, basically the first step in doing projects like that is that you need to find investors, not just to to just like lend you money or to have equity in the project, but you need people to buy condos or blocks of condos in advance, which provides really essential kind of startup funding for these projects. And Trump, to get that money and to find early buyers for his condos, went to Deutsche Bank. And Deutsche Bank set up a bunch of kind of gatherings for him in London and elsewhere, where a bunch of Deutsche Bank's wealthiest clients came to meet with Trump and meet with his real estate partners. And some of those people were very well-connected, wealthy Russians, including some who were directly linked to the Kremlin. And in some cases, those very wealthy Russians used anonymous shell companies to buy huge blocks of condominiums in these as-yet-unbuilt Trump projects. And so it really provided essential kind of get-off-the-ground 
funding for Trump. And so that me- that draws a pretty direct line between Trump and some people that I think are pretty household names uh, among Russians in the so people that you've heard of. And I'm not I unfortunately do not have it, I think, nailed down quite enough to actually say what those names are, because I just haven't been able to nail it, unfortunately. But they're the, my understanding is that it's people with pretty public track records of operating in some pretty sketchy ways in Russia. Um, so that's thing one thing, too, is that around the same time, uh, the bank was helping Trump buy properties all over the world, really, that re- never actually came to light. And they were in places like Malta and elsewhere where there are very limited disclosure requirements. And therefore, these are popular destinations for people who are looking to hide assets. And Deutsche Bank helped Trump set up special purpose vehicles to purchase these properties and then provided him with derivatives that essentially enabled him to buy these properties with while putting zero of his own money down. So he was basically agreeing to fork over in advance. He was selling rights, essentially, to revenue that he expected to raise in the future for these properties so that he wouldn't have to actually put a single penny of his own money down. And so in Deutsche Bank, that was all because of Deutsche Bank. And and what of the bank's efforts, I mean, before we get too, too deep into that, uh, I remember seeing some sort of public reporting, or it might have actually been from you talking uh, in your New York Times piece. I just don't, I can't remember the exact source. Something about those loans being paid off by a subsidiary of Deutsche Bank. Is that something that you had found in your research? Well, some of the loans, so Trump, basically, as I'm sure you know, Trump's main kind of MO for operating the banking industry is that he would... Um, you know, he defaults over and over again. He stiffs his lenders, his business partners, his contractors, his lawyers, et cetera, et cetera. And among the many people and entities that Trump has stiffed over the year is Deutsche Bank, which he's defaulted on a couple of loans from Deutsche Bank over the years. And, you know, like clockwork, Deutsche Bank basically loses his interest in Trump for a couple of years and then immediately comes rushing back. And so the most recent iteration of that took place at the end of 2011, um, which is a few years after Trump had defaulted on the $640 million loan to build a skyscraper in Chicago. And Deutsche Bank had been, or Trump had been declared by Deutsche Bank to be just completely off limits at that point. And yet, in at the end of 2011, uh, this kind of squirrely little arm of Deutsche Bank, the private wealth management division, came back and agreed to lend him nearly $50 million that was used in earmarks specifically so that Trump could pay back another arm of Deutsche Bank that he had previously defaulted on. So it was kind of this very incestuous thing that to me really reveals just how desperate and reckless Deutsche Bank was in its never ending quest to increase its short term profits. And they had seen all these red flags about Trump over and over and over again. And yet because he appears in the moment to be kind of a juicy target for them, they go for it. And how was um, Justin Kennedy involved? Uh, where did he come into the picture? Was it uh, after the defaults uh, and with that fifty uh, uh, million dollar loan, or before? Because I know that I know that he had a hand in getting some of this, or at least was in in that in that arm that you're talking about for lending to Donald Trump. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And so Kennedy joined Deutsche Bank in the the late 1990s, right as Deutsche Bank was making this huge push to go from being this traditional kind of provincial German and European lender to getting big on Wall Street. And one of the key spaces that wanted to get big on Wall Street was in the commercial real estate business. And 
The problem is it was going up against big established United States banks and even some British banks in that space. And so none of, and you know, those those banks had the kind of the best clients out there. None of those best clients had any particular interest in doing business with this German bank whose name they couldn't even pronounce. And so Deutsche Bank was left in this predicament where it basically had to go bottom fishing and it needed to find clients who were essentially unbankable in the mainstream banking industry. And Trump just fit that bill perfectly. And so Kennedy was originally part, part of the original crew that made several hundred million dollars of loans to Trump to finance the renovations of a tower on Wall Street and then the construction of a skyscraper right across the street from the United Nations. And Trump paid back both of those loans, but then he defaulted on some other debt that he owed to the bank. And Kennedy kind of rose up through the ranks during this period and was just completely undeterred about working with him. I mean, he, Trump wined him and dined him. They went to watch the U.S. Open together. They would hang out at nightclubs together. Uh, and meanwhile, all, during all this time, Anthony Kennedy, so Justin's father, is regularly popping by Deutsche Bank's offices and saying hi to the executives there and giving everyone little hugs to thank them for being so nice to his son. And, uh, and kind of the, I mean, the crowning achievement for Kennedy at Deutsche Bank during this period was in 2005 when he was one of the leaders that helped do this huge $640 million loan to build from the ground up this glistening skyscraper and development on the, the Chicago Riverside. And, um, that loan was good for about two and a half years until the financial crisis hit, at which point Trump happily defaulted on it. And from my reporting, I learned that Kennedy happened to bump into Trump shortly after. So Trump defaults on it and is not even content to just leave it at that. He instead sues Deutsche Bank, mm -hmm. seeking billions of dollars in damages from the bank. And it, uh, Kennedy, which is a very aggressive move, obviously, and Kennedy bumps into Trump shortly after that. And Trump says to him, hey, you know, no hard feelings, I hope. And Kennedy, who at that point was kind of looking toward the future, said, no, it's just business. We understand it all is well. And Kennedy resigned from Deutsche Bank shortly after that, but then went on later in his career to do a tremendous amount of financial work for the Trumps, for the Kushners, for, and for and Don Jr. and Ivanka as well. So they became, they were already quite close and became even closer in the ensuing years. And and what sort of I know that the um, there were several whistleblowers um, from Deutsche Bank. What sort of efforts did they make to quash these whistleblowers, specifically the ones tied with Trump and Kushner transactions, for example? I mean, they were one of Deutsche Bank's kind of defining traits is that it does not do very well with dissent. Um, they don't like people saying no. And so I mean, I, I've had some personal experience with this because last year I went down to Jacksonville, Florida, where Deutsche Bank has its big anti-money laundering operations in the U.S. And I met with a, a whole bunch of employees, one of whom went on the record. Her name is Tammy McFadden, who had been an anti-money laundering officer at the bank and had spotted what she deemed to be suspicious transactions in, Jared, or in the Kushner Company's accounts, where money was moving from the Kushner accounts. And this is in the summer of 2016. So right in the middle of the election, moving from the Kushner accounts to some Russian individuals. And she tried to file suspicious activity reports with the federal government, which is kind of a standard operating procedure in that case. And she she told me it was just a, it wasn't even a kind of borderline call. It was an easy call for her. And she prepared her report. And, you know, normally it would just get rubber stamped by someone up the food chain. 
And these banks err on the side of over-reporting suspicious transactions rather than under-reporting them. And in this case, the bank said, nope, not going to file that, killed it. And McFadden was alarmed by this and complained vigorously to anyone who had listened inside the bank. And it, her complaints led pretty quickly from her, to her being transferred out of the division where she had any visibility into what was happening in the Trump and Kushner accounts. And then within like a year and a half, she was fired by the bank. Yeah, I remember I remember that coming out, that story coming out. And then there was something about the, the Kushner and Trump loan being consolidated or, or something. I, I, there's just Yeah, some... you know, to be honest, I've seen that report, too. One of the things that's been a struggle for me with this book is that there's a lot of speculation and rumor and kind of innuendo out there. And one of the things I've tried really hard to do is really stick to the facts that I've been able to verify myself and kind of holding them up to, I don't, I mean, again, this could be a critique as well as a compliment, I guess, but like holding it up to New York Times standards. And we're very rigorous and I guess some would say anal, overly anal about sources and sources of information, but that's kind of the way we do business. And uh, so I have not been able to verify any of that kind of stuff. And I know there've been other, some reports of it out there. To my knowledge, it's not true, but Look, the big, the big thing with Deutsche Bank and Trump is that we, you know, I've interviewed nearly 200 sources, as you said, but I unfortunately lack subpoena power. And so I definitely, there's like more information to be got here. And the, the potentially good news is that in later this summer, there, or in a few months, there, the Supreme Court is going to rule one way or the other on whether Deutsche Bank needs to comply with a couple of congressional subpoenas that are demanding that the bank fork over essentially all of its Trump records and all of its internal records related to Trump. So if the Supreme Court upholds those subpoenas, um, that will provide us with this just absolutely unique view into the kind of inner workings of Trump's finances. Now, we don't know how the court will rule, so. Yeah, because, I mean, we are... Um... That's why I like being a podcast and not working for the New York Times. I can speculate wildly. I know you can, and I've heard you do it. <laughs> um, but you know, I am I am very big on on uh, making sure people know when I'm speculating wildly and, and what the actual facts are. Um, I wanted to ask you because I mean the two big questions are right from this Deutsche Bank thing, which I I believe they're hearing arguments here in just a few weeks, uh, and we should have the answer in, in the summertime, end of June, July. And the, the two big questions we've all been asking that we don't have smoking gun documents for are, were Trump's loans underwritten by Russian oligarchs? And was there a deal involving Justice Kennedy's retirement? Those are like the two big things that we, you know, that we're looking for from Deutsche Bank that we just can't seem to get a get our hands on. Yep. And look, I mean, I think the book sheds quite a bit of light on the Kennedy situation. And there's I have a lot of access to people with pretty direct knowledge of what was going on there. And so the book really does, I, I think, do a pretty authoritative job of tracing that when it comes to the Russia stuff. And what we know, and again, I think this, the book does kind of reveals more about this than has ever been previously known. But I mean, Deutsche Bank's ties to the Kremlin are extraordinarily tight. And there is so much so that when the bank's longtime CEO stepped down, he was immediately offered a job personally by Vladimir Putin to work in the Kremlin. And um, so, but look, the rumor that's been out there circulating for, I mean, almost five years now is that, or I guess almost four years now, is that Trump was, the loans to Trump were underwritten by 
uh, by the Kremlin or by one of the kind of state-owned banks. And I have spent years now trying to figure this out, and I have not been able to confirm it. And in fact, everyone I talk to who is, has knowledge, direct knowledge of what's going on, denies that. But maybe they that's what they would do. And again, I don't have subpoena power. So I agree with you that that is, that's kind of one of the big unanswered questions. But even if that, even if there's not proof of that in the Deutsche Bank files, we're still going to learn an enormous amount about Trump's kind of most forbidden secrets, and whether it's his tax returns or where he's getting his money from internationally, who his foreign business partners are, whether he's paying taxes, not to mention any internal documents about Deutsche Bank's concerns about him laundering money through his account. So this is really, it's going to be a big trove that will be pretty explosive, I hope. Yeah. And I think one of the big stories that comes out of your book, you know, okay, so we don't have the smoking gun about underwritten by oligarchs. But the fact that the Russians were buying up units in Trump Tower, which they've been doing for a really long time, uh, is, I think, big and bad enough on its own, just as a standalone, you know, concept that was happening, because that's like you said, Without, you know, without people buying up these condos, they're not going to sell. And so that's sort of a, a fraudulent falsification of the demand on these units. But and, and these Russians buy them up. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely the, the, the extensive nature of Trump's dealings with Russians through Deutsche Bank. And there's really there's no question about it at this point. And there is questions about, look, we don't know the amount of money that went from politically connected Russians to Donald Trump and his companies. But we, uh, I think it's safe to assume that it's considerable. And, you know, we've kind of lost sight of that, I think, over the past couple of years. Yeah, I agree. Um, before I let you go, uh, Val Brooksmith reached out to us after we did the reporting on your New York Times piece about him. And I was just wondering uh, if, if there's anything you wanted to say to him. Yeah, I mean, I, and I've, I've said this to Val. Val is pretty unhappy with that article I wrote back in October. And it, look, Val's a complicated character. I've known him for God, six years now, uh, believe it or not. And it, um, it's been the most intense source relationship I've ever had. And it, I've learned a lot along the way, and I've made mistakes along the way. And one of the things I've told him previously is that the article was accurate, and I thought it was fair, and it was certainly honest. I mean, I wrote it in the first person, and it was a true portrayal of how I was feeling and how I perceived things. That being said, it was too harsh in retrospect. I, I wish I had not brought the full weight of the New York Times to bear on what, who's a, a person who's essentially a private individual, even though he was kind of trying to make a public name for himself. I, I wish I had been a little bit nicer, and I feel badly that I wasn't. And, I've, and, and I'm sorry, and I've said that to Val, and, I, and it's true. I wish I had not been... I, I quite as I, I wish I'd been a little bit nicer. And so I feel bad about that. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And thank you very much. Um, this has been absolutely fascinating. I really encourage everyone to get Dark Towers. I'm assuming it's available everywhere books are sold. Absolutely. Yeah, it's really, really fascinating. Uh, and we're all going to be inside for a while. So, <laughs> you know, maybe maybe it'd be a good time. Grab the audiobook or 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 pick it up off of uh you know, wherever you wherever you get your books. So thank you uh, very much. Financial editor of New York Times, author of the new book, Dark Towers, Deutsche Bank, Donald Trump and an Epic Trail of Destruction. David Enrich, thanks for coming on to Mueller She Wrote. Thanks so much for having me. 
All right, everybody, that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. We really appreciate uh, your support. Uh, please give us a, a rating online uh, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm. That's totally free to do. If you want to become a premium member, you get ad-free episodes of The Daily Beans, and you get them the night before they come out to the public, and you get video stuff. We got video in the studio now where we do questions episodes, bonus content, uh, all sorts of book clubs, past book clubs you can have access to that we didn't put out to the public. Just a lot of really uh, awesome stuff for, for our patrons, plus free gifts and uh, cool stuff like that. So. We're almost at 1,200 ratings on Apple Podcasts. Ooh, Ooh getting, on Daily Beans? or or Yeah, for Daily Beans. Nice. Oh, this is for Miller. She wrote, my yeah. bad. I was getting excited for nothing. <laughs> but also review the Daily Beans. No, you can be excited about it. Yeah, I can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You go. Thank you. Uh, any final thoughts, everybody? Wash your hands <laughs> and stay the fuck home. <laughs> yeah, hashtag stay the fuck home is yeah. actually trending. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it. Everyone, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. I've been AG. I've been Jordan Coburn. I've been Amanda Reader. And this is Muller She Wrote. Muller She Wrote is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn with engineering and editing by Mackenzie Mazel and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, production and social media direction is by Amanda Reader. Fact-checking and research by AG, Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reader, and our knowledgeable listeners. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reader with Moxie Design Studios, and our website is MullerSheWrote.com. Season 4 of How We Win is here. For the past four years, we've been making history in critical elections all over the country. And last year, we made history again by expanding our majority in the Senate, beating election-denying Republicans in crucial state house races, and fighting back a non-existent red wave. But the MAGA Republicans who plotted and pardoned the attempted overthrow of our government now control the House, thanks to gerrymandered maps and repressive anti-voter laws. And the chaotic spectacle we've already seen shows us just how far they will go to seize power, dismantle our government, and take away our freedoms. So the official podcast of The Persistence is back with season four. There's so much more important work ahead of us to fight for equity, justice, and our very democracy itself. We'll take you behind the lines and inside the rooms where it happens with strategy and inspiration from progressive changemakers all over the country. And we'll dig deep into the weekly news that matters most and what you can do about it with messaging and communications expert, co-founder of Way to Win, and our new co-host, Jennifer Fernandez Ancona. So join Steve and I every Wednesday for your weekly dose of inspiration, action, and hope. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Jennifer Fernandez Ancona. And And this this is is How We Win. M.S.W. Media.